welcome back to the uh, the Airspace Executive Podcast. Um, happy, uh, happy, almost end of 2022. But uh, I am thrilled to have uh, Craig Boswell with me. Um, Craig runs a fascinating business. Uh, he's the president of Hobie International out of uh, Dallas, Texas. Uh, Hobie is a recycler of consumer electronics, computers, precious metals. And I thought it'd be great to have him on with all the uh, the focus on EV and batteries and uh, you know green energy. I just thought it'd be a great topic to to talk about. So thanks, Craig, for for coming on. Thanks for having me. I appreciate it. So happy New Year. Christmas was good for you guys. Yeah, very good, very good. Happy New Year. So hope twenty twenty three is as good as twenty twenty two was for you. Yeah. Thank you. So you are the, so let's talk about it. We were just talking about it a little bit. We've obviously talked about, you know, see so you, you're, you know, you know, electronics recycling and you do, you know, most of your clients are large corporate accounts that are looking to dispose of IT in kind of a, a contract fashion. Talk more about, just talk more about it in broad in general, and then let's shift gears a little bit. Yeah, about, certainly. About what you do. So if you look at the landscape uh, of the electronic space and the IT space, uh, companies have recognized that at the end of life, the burden for disposition of the equipment they use um, really has a lot of facets to it. First of all, they got a data security risk. Uh, you don't have to read the Wall Street Journal uh, too often, and you'll see uh, an article about someone that didn't manage their data very well, and that doesn't look very good in the press. Uh, they also do have an environmental risk. Um, the electronics that we use on a day-to-day -day basis seem very benign from an environmental standpoint, but they do use heavy metals that can be considered hazardous if they're not disposed correctly. Um, the batteries, uh, like we talked about prior to starting the show, lithium-ion batteries are considered a hazardous waste if not disposed of properly. And that falls on the company that, that owns those materials. And then even beyond that, uh, there's value there. Uh, the used electronics market is a multi-billion dollar market worldwide. So, you know, if you're a company and you've used your Surface Pro uh, tablet for a couple of years and we're going to upgrade because we got to have the latest and greatest, that Surface Pro tablet is still very valuable. It's valuable, you know, from an environmental standpoint to extend the life, but it it's also a great way to bridge the digital divide. Um, companies like mine, we sell electronics all over the world. And there's plenty of places in the world, for instance, that a cell phone is the only way to communicate. There is no wires in the ground, there is no, and so the easiest way to create communications and computing power for your populace is to throw up cell, or it's throw up towers. So our clients, which tend to be Fortune 1000 companies, basically are looking for a turnkey solution that when they have assets to dispose of, we come in and we bear that data security risk. We bear that environmental risk, make sure it's either reused properly or recycled for recovering the gold, silver, um, copper, and other metals and plastics. And we provide them with a sustainability story around how they're uh, protecting the environment at the end of the life of these items. So how much, we were talking about it last week. So we were talking about my iPhone 12, which I'm probably going to have to upgrade because the battery keeps running down on it. 
how much of that iPhone 12 is recyclable? What's in it? How much is recyclable? And then I want to shift the gears and go, okay, you know, now the new, the, now the, the, the future is Tesla and, and EV, or maybe it's, maybe the future is Tesla and EV. And I want to talk about the challenges of uh, challenges of that too. So first of all, call me when you're ready to upgrade. All right? I will do that. <laughs> Don't forget about me. Yeah. But yeah. If you, if you look at a cell phone, uh, a cell phone is is really a very recyclable item. First of all, if it's an iPhone 12 and you sent it to me with a battery that wouldn't hold a charge, uh, we wouldn't necessarily recycle that. We would clear the data. We would replace the battery, put a brand new battery in there, and we would sell it either domestically or internationally. There's uh, hundreds of online platforms that we can sell that. Um, we sell a lot of our uh, phones into the EU uh, from the US and, and, and other markets where it's a non-subsidized market like the US market is subsidized by the carriers. But if we did have to recycle it, let's say it, uh, it was an older device, um, you're looking at, first of all, almost an, the entire uh, entirety of that phone, in fact, the entirety of that phone is recyclable. The uh, things that we would recover would be aluminum around the casing and the frame, um, precious metals, it's, it's interesting. There's a term that's evolved over the last 10 years called urban mining. And what they're talking about is some of the most hazardous things in producing electronics happen when we dig the materials we need for those electronics out of the ground. Gold, silver, palladium, platinum, cobalt for the batteries. Mining is very intrusive to the environment. And you have this cell phone here in your hand, and that cell phone is actually 10 times more rich in gold than the ore I would dig way down in the ground to dig out. And then I got to refine the gold out. And when I dig up gold ore, I sometimes pull up mercury to the surface, which isn't great. And so, you know, we can recover all those materials and they're right here in your hand and you hand them to me and the velocity by which we can get that raw material uh, item that potential raw materials from in the phone back into you know it might be gold that goes back into electronics might be gold that you wear on your ring when you get a, a you know a new mm -hmm. piece of jewelry or aluminum that could go into cans instead of phones all those materials they're right here in your hand and we with a tremendous velocity we can get those raw materials back into the manufacturing stream and, you know, I think it's a popular term to talk about the circular economy. Everybody wants to focus on, you know, that is the future, a circular economy where we're not creating waste. Mm -hmm. But if we don't close that loop, you know, if you get done with that phone and you stick it in the drawer, uh, it's not a circle, right? Right, right. <laughs> it's more a letter C at that point. What closes the circular economy is getting those items back into this recycling infrastructure, whether it be your phone or your PCs or any other type item, an EV vehicle, uh, those types of things, getting back into the recycling structure where we can get those raw materials back to the manufacturers. So how much, yeah, so if if you're talking about the manufacturers, you know, your, your, your print circuit board makers, even Apple, Samsung, IBM, you know, whoever's making, you know, Dell, whoever's making computers, are they active buyers of the recycled material themselves? Are they buying the raw material and then putting it back into their 
Yeah, in some cases directly, in some cases secondarily. Mm -hmm. So uh, if you look at the, the infrastructure for aluminum, for instance, a tremendous amount of manufactured aluminum contains a, a large amount of secondary aluminum that's been recovered. So they don't necessarily care if it comes from an iPhone or a beer can, right? Mm -hmm. they, they just know that they're buying aluminum that has a, a large amount of secondary material that's been injected. Same, same way with gold. Where it gets more direct is with plastics. So plastics are a tough, a tough item to recycle. Um, milk jugs, not so much, right? They're uniform material, um, fairly consistent. But if you look at the plastic that would be contained in an electronics device, first of all, it might have a lots of different colors. Mm -hmm. And, you know, we're pretty particular about our colors. Sometimes I want the pink one, I want the blue one. And it's hard to take, you know, green plastic and make a pink iPhone. Right. And so uh, that's where we tend to close the loop a little more directly with mm -hmm. the manufacturers, trying to get the plastics that's unique to their products, both from a composition and a color standpoint, mm -hmm. back into their manufacturing stream. Whereas the more commoditized items like copper, gold, aluminum, those tend to go back to a, just a general commodity and then be injected back into the recycle or the manufacturing infrastructure. Obviously, consumer electronics around here, the big thing and um, the big thing around here in North Carolina is stealing catalytic converters off of church yeah. buses for the for the uh, the platinum yeah. um, content. So uh, obviously, there's some value. There's there's a lot of value there. But let's talk about, you know, so in, in aviation, aerospace, everybody's talking about, you know, the electric jet batteries. Mm -hmm. Everybody's talking about, you know, the Ford, new Ford Lightning batteries, Teslas. I mean, uh, there's a lot going on there when you talk about the need for, you know, 21st century electronics, lithium, you know, lithium batteries, rare earth. You know, is it real? I mean, is it? How far ahead of ourselves are we getting here when we say, hey, by 2030, we want every car in the United States sold to be electric? Uh, so from a recycling standpoint, we're making a tremendous investment in recycling infrastructure for the batteries. Um, if you follow the industry at all, you know, companies like Redwood and Lifecycle and Retrieve had raised well over a billion dollars to get prepared for recycling the batteries. The problem is, is the batteries aren't coming out very fast, right? So we are needing new raw materials for these vehicles. And the best batteries right now from a, a power density standpoint, and so that's the amount of, of power that the battery can have per unit weight. Weight's important. You mm -hmm. know, the more the battery weighs, the shorter your range, and then you need more power in a bigger battery. Those are nickel metal cobalt batteries. Mm -hmm. um, uh, the cobalt is a tough item. Um, a lot of the cobalt comes from the Congo and that's a tough place to be mining. There's a lot of issues with that. So there is some you know, infrastructure problems right now with saying, could we ramp up to five or six or seven order of magnitudes more battery production than we have right now? Um, ben, there's a lot of research being done to try to avoid that. There are some cheaper alternatives that don't involve cobalt. Uh, the most popular right now is a lithium iron phosphate battery. It's not quite as power dense, but it's considerably cheaper. 
Um, it works great. Uh, so we're sitting in the U.S. Um, you know, uh, we always joke about that, you know, a weekend drive in the U.S. might be from Dallas to Lubbock. Right. You know, a weekend Six hours. Drive, yeah. <laughs> a weekend drive in the EU might be from the Eiffel Tower to the other side of town. Right. right. So a lithium ion phosphate battery in that type of application isn't too big of an issue. It doesn't have the range, but I don't need the range. Mm -hmm. I can, you know, I do a few hundred miles in a week. You know, my commute's 180 miles a day. And, you know, I want that better battery, but, you know, we do have an issue with materials. Um, the, the industry's aware of that. Uh, like I said, from a recovering material standpoint, we're, we're generating a lot of capacity, but that's really not going to be needed for five or 10 years. If you look at the, you know, the aerospace application, obviously even more demanding application, right? don't want to be up in the air or run out of juice. That's probably mm -hmm. not the ideal case. So, you know, you're going to be using the highest end batteries possible because, you know, you got to overcome the weight of the battery. So you want the best power density possible. So right now you would be talking the nickel metal cobalt batteries. There's research being done in solid state batteries. that will improve that power density even more. Um, it, it's, the battery technology is one of the big limiters here and, mm -hmm. you know, on what we can do and what applications will work. Um, and then, you know, we, we also have to look at the safety implications of using lithium batteries in those types of more critical applications like flight. Um, you know, if, if you do have a battery episode due to damage in a vehicle, you pull off, you get out of your car and, you know, it's terrible if the car burns, but I just got to pull off the road and get away from the car. Obviously, that happens in an airborne situation, you know, a much different scenario. Right, right. And so, you know, we're, we're addressing those as fast as we can. Everybody, I mean, the holy grail is a very safe battery with tremendous power density that's cheap. Yep. And we don't, we're, it's still the Holy Grail. It's out there buried somewhere. We can't find it. We're not there, but you're even saying even lithium right now to, to recycle a lithium battery is not an easy, it's not an easy process. I mean, they, they're combustible. They're, they're easily combustible. Talk, you know, uh, you know. Yeah. You, it, from a supply chain standpoint, uh, you know, we're developing a lot of capacity for recycling the batteries. But, you know, it's kind of, we go back to your cell phone. If I don't get the cell phone, I can't recycle it. Mm -hmm. Well, these vehicle batteries, whether they be for flight applications or for vehicles, they're a lot bigger, they're a lot heavier, and there's tend to be more spread out. They don't tend to be consolidated necessarily in one location. So from a standpoint of getting them to the recycling, you know, we have a couple issues. One is we do have the issue that, from the Department of Transportation perspective, when you're transporting these batteries, you're tr transporting a hazard because it could cause a fire. Mm -hmm. You have to be careful about how it's handled and packaged. The other thing, a lot of these batteries for vehicles are fairly high voltage. And uh, some of the vehicles, a deadly high voltage. So now, you know, you tell me that I just pulled a battery out of... Uh, a BMW in downtown Dallas, come pick it up and, you know, take it to recycling. Well, I got to make sure I handle it correctly, that I don't kill somebody. They 
touch it and it's still fully charged. Mm -hmm. I got to make sure it's packaged correctly. It's transported on the type of vehicle where it can be done safely, where it doesn't re represent a fire risk. And then when it gets to the facility, I have to disassemble that battery with safety in mind, both electrical hazard and fire hazard. Um, you know, God forbid the battery was damaged. Now it becomes even more of a fire risk. And, uh, you know, these are intense fire. One of the problems with the lithium, of course, you know, you think, you know, 4th of July spark, sparkler magnesium, right? Mm -hmm. Same area of the periodic table. It burns hot and it burns fast. So, you know, everything around it catches on fire. It's not just that that battery causes a fire, but it's burning so hot and so fast. If there any combustible material nearby, you're catching in on yeah. it. So, it's burning the truck trail. It's burning the truck that it's transported on. It's burning the road that's underneath yeah. it. That's on. It's, exactly. Lots yeah, of videos it, of burnt up UPS and yeah, FedEx trucks on the way. You know, now you see it though, but you know, like the auto insurance industry, I'm trying to think of the name of the business, you know, a car gets wrecked and then it goes obviously to a salvage yard, mm -hmm. you know, and then, you know, there's, there's a huge business around, you know, you know, insurance, you know, you know, cars and things like that. I'm assuming there are now businesses that are popping up or maybe even the auto recyclers are starting to figure out, Hey, maybe it's time we start investing in, training and processes and people surrounding you know the ev market yeah the, the 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 most logical infrastructure to do this is the auto salvage infrastructure right it's it's a very well established structure um i know a lot of people in that space much more technical than you would envision mm -hmm. you know you think of it as a junkyard um parts recovery and parts harvesting and the remanufacturing of parts you know, if I went to get a new alternator for my truck today, I would buy a remanufactured alternator because that is a very controlled process. The recovery from the salvage vehicle is done controlled and the testing and remanufacturing is done real well. And the same could be done with the EV batteries. And the, the best case possible with the batteries, obviously, is also reuse. You know, when we look at... Uh, the three R's of the recycling space. It's reduce, try to use less materials to have impact. Then it's reuse, then it's recycle. Uh, reuse is, if you look at carbon footprint type uh, measurements, 10 times more effective than recycling because when you recycle, you got to go back through all those melting and heating processes. When you reuse, you save everything from mining new ore out of the ground, to the semiconductor manufacturing and everything else. So, you know, we're, we're looking at reuse options and the salvage industry, the auto salvage industry is looking at those things. You know, what does the market look like? Um, one of the problems we're having is the, unlike, you know, a lot of things in a vehicle where the, the it's been fairly standardized across makes and models, you know, every new vehicle that comes out is a completely re reconfigured and new battery. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, I could figure out, great, I know how to reuse the battery out of, you know, a Tesla Model 300 or something. Mm -hmm. But that's completely different than the Nissan Elf. Right. And so now I want to use the battery out of that for a reuse application and I have to have a completely different in engineering analysis of that battery and how it could be reused. One of the most important aspects of that is safety. 
um, what mitigates the opportunity for battery fires to a large extent in the application phase it's, is what's called the battery management system. And it does things like detect potential thermal runaway and control the amount of current that can go to the battery so it doesn't heat up, mm -hmm. start a cell on fire, which, like we said, propagates mm -hmm. to everything. And the next thing you know, the whole car is burning down. And those are unique to each application. And if I can't, I may be able to disassemble the battery into individual cells and say, hey, this could be used for backup power for a home. But if I can't put a good battery management system around that, uh, that application can't be exercised. So, mm -hmm. you know, as we look at emerging spaces like the aviation space, you know, it would be the cost avoidance that could be accomplished and the environmental benefit that could be accomplished by taking batteries out of that application, which will be a pretty demanding application. Mm -hmm. You know, your vehicle gets to 85% range and you say, okay, it might be close when I'm driving home, but if I'm running out, I can pull into a charging station. If you're up in an aircraft and you run out of battery power, you're you know, not a lot of charging stations in the sky, right? So we're probably going to be taking batteries out of service at a much more regular basis. Mm -hmm. in that application from a safety standpoint, maybe the threshold would be 85, 90% capacity, 80% capacity, whereas in the vehicle space, people go well below that. Mm -hmm. Now we have these really good batteries that would be great for reuse. But if we don't look from the front, design. Uh, if you look at the ability to recycle electronics, I was an electronics design engineer in my previous life. I sealed the fate of the recyclability of those processes when I finished my CAD drawings. If I thought about end of life, I could do some things to make that product much more recyclable. Mm -hmm. If I ignored end of life, I can make lots of critical errors that made end of life reuse and recycling very, very difficult. Mm -hmm. Same is true in the battery space. If I think about end of life, maybe I look at modularity. I look at a battery management system that could be redeployed in a fixed power application. Mm -hmm. And now those batteries are actually valuable at end of life rather than being a cost to dispose of because the only opportunity I have to get rid of it is to put it on a truck, truck it, you know, 90 miles as hazardous waste and then only recover the cobalt once it finally gets to a smelting facility, mm -hmm. you know, three, 400 miles away. It's it's amazing to me because now what you're talking about is and I'm sure people are out there thinking about all this, but standard it's new standards. Okay, so we, we're yeah. talking about you know everybody talks about oh it's really easy just make it an EV it's a battery right you know now you're talking about well hey maybe we need a standard that everybody lives to for a decade versus which limits now innovation because you know you think about like every iPhone you know comes out with thirty every time an iPhone comes out it comes out with thirty percent more battery life. Well, if you do that with a, you know, a car, the battery that was in the car now has to get replaced. Well, you can't put it in, you can't put a, you know, it, it's a, it's a totally new design. And now you're running that. Now you're talking about electric airplanes, you know, now you're limited, you're, you're limited to the technology. You can, you can do that. So it's, it's like ultimately developments of, of standards, which people really aren't, the, you know, I'm sure the experts are thinking about it, but the layman really isn't. And, and I think this, this podcast is designed more for the layman just to talk <laughs> about the challenges of, you know, hey, it's, 
it, it's not as easy as everybody thinks. Yeah, and, and it's a balancing act, right? You know, in anything, uh, you know, there's been hundreds and hundreds of studies about how sensitive are we to green? Mm -hmm. And, you know, we're pushing EVs because we see it as more green. But there's other benefits to the to EVs beyond green, you know, noise and other things. Mm -hmm. And and we say, well, how can I make it greener? Well, I can make it more recyclable. But if I look at those trade-offs, it may be a much, much better product. It, you know, we talked about nickel metal cobalt versus uh, lithium uh, ferrous uh, batteries. The nickel metal cobalt batteries, I've eliminated cobalt, but I've also eliminated range. Well, that doesn't really make sense, especially in the, uh, you know, the aer aeronautics aeronautics space. Range is going to be, you know, power density is going to be the. I got to lift it off the ground, right? Mm -hmm. I'm all about weight and power density. Uh, you know, I'm going to use the best battery I can possibly use, and I'm going to trade that off against environmental issues and you know end of life issues, and do the best I can where I can have an impact. Mm -hmm. where those trade-offs is maybe a win-win or at least win and not a loss, mm -hmm. you know, I should be looking at those and, and standards around that are, are one ways to do that in the, in the commercial electronic space, uh, in the uh, CE space, if you look at consumer electronics, there's a standard called EP. And what EP does is it looks at the products and it says, you know, all things being equal, did they make good trade-offs from an environmental perspective and a safety perspective on this? And if it passes a certain certain threshold, it gets you know a gold rating, a silver rating, or so forth. Mm -hmm. And then purchasing decisions, for instance, within the government, are made around seeking those products where those trade-offs were made. And, and you know, in some cases, those are significant. Uh, investments and in research by the manufacturers to say what is the best approach here. Let's open our eyes to new approaches that have both utility um, in, for the user of the product and have uh, mitigated some of the environmental impact. That's great. Now we were talking, you know, kind of going back to something different. Let's talk a little bit of you know recycling. Obviously. You know the aircraft carrier that was that I was on. We talked about you. Know, they towed it to Brownsville, mm -hmm. Texas, and cut it up. You know, tons and tons of ferrous and non-ferrous metal. Not to mention copper, precious metals, whatever else is on on board. I don't know what, what they put in aircraft carriers. I'm sure it's much more than steel. Um. You know, and obviously, if they're spending that much money to ship it from to tow it from Bremerton, Washington, to Brownsville, and then taking mm -hmm. two years to cut it up, there's a there's a return there. Yeah, I, I think it's funny because, you know, the average consumer, when they think of recycling, you often think of the bin in your garage, right? Right. And I throw my milk jugs and I throw my aluminum cans. The industry infrastructure is so much greater than that. Uh, on the commercial level, you can't drive by any real commercial facility and you won't see a bin in the back of that facility that's for metals, you know, aluminum or copper or, or ferrous metals. Um, you look at electronics, uh, a multi-billion dollar industry around recycling electronics. Now, the fascinating thing, it's not much different than the can in your garage. You know, you throw a milk jug in there and an aluminum can in there, 
and it goes to a facility and their job is now to separate the yeah. milk jug from the aluminum can. When it's an aircraft carrier, it's a little bigger problem, a little bigger uh, yeah. you know, product to deal with, but their job is to separate the steel from the aluminum, from the copper, from the glass. It's the same basic thought process, just with torches and grinders and hundreds and hundreds of people and or a 747 for that matter. Or a 747. When you think about the 747s, you know, cutting them up, they, you know, they're stripped down for parts. And then, you know, you know, you know 10,000, you know, 20,000 pounds of aluminum and, you know, whatever else have you, right? And, uh, yeah, I mean, you look at just jet engine blades. Jet engine blades, you know, titanium and tungsten, you know, have to high, high speed, very strong, uh, have to deal with very high temperatures on the edge of the blade. That involves a mixture of two materials, and there's companies out there, their job is to separate those two materials and get them into the recycling infrastructure. Um, it's And again, if, if we look at the circular economy, which I think is a great concept, mm -hmm. you know, if we put it out there, how do we get it back into raw materials? Uh, th that, that needs to be applied beyond just our, you know, packaging on our groceries and our the cans we drink out of you, you look at everything in your office from the concrete that you know the your home was built on concrete can be recycled and there's a process for recycling concrete and you know if we if it's done correctly if it's corrected correctly you can inject it into some fairly good applications uh vehicles it's the same way jet engines uh, you know, all these things. And, it, you know, there's two aspects. One is the urban mining aspect of it. It's a lot better than mining it out of the ground. And then the second is some of these resources aren't unlimited. You mm -hmm. know, if we keep burying them in the landfill, someday we're going to be mining back into the landfill to get these things we buried because that's the only place they still exist. Yeah. I suspect more and more, yeah, more and more laws are going to come into play to promote the circular economy you know electronics yeah. must be recycled you know you know, your concrete must be recycled your metals must be you know you know things of the sort i i suspect that's just going to come more and more into you know state and local laws at least in the united states i know in europe they're you know, fanatical about you back when yeah. i lived in when i lived in germany they're fanatical about you know brown glass goes in this can green glass goes in this mm -hmm. can aluminum goes in that can but it was cool to see it. That was 30 years ago, quite frankly. Yeah, and it's still the same today. You know, we're one of the few countries that still have mixed bin recycling. You know, I just, uh, we talked earlier, my son's in the Navy stationed in Japan. And I got there with uh, a bottled water. Mm -hmm. And, you know, in, in the city he was in, you had about nine different categories you had to separate your recycling in. And I pulled my bottled water out and it was, the logo was printed on it. And he goes, this is completely unacceptable. The water's here, the label is separate from the bottle because it's two different type of plastics. So everybody in their home is gonna cut that label off. The label goes in one stream and the bottle goes in another. And she goes, or my son goes, I don't know what to do with this bottle. It's contaminated with this printing. I can't do anything with it. But those are the types of decisions that, you know, is gonna, and, you know, we are seeing some laws get passed. Uh, 26 states in the U.S. have electronics recycling laws. Most of those laws put the burden on the manufacturers 
So if you look at, you know, a lot of the states, Illinois, Texas, if I sell, you know, phones or computers in the state of Illinois and I sell a thousand pounds, I got to collect a thousand pounds of waste electronics in that state. And the manufacturer has to pay for that. And many companies in my industry, that's the end of their, their end. They're collecting mm -hmm. electronics from uh, consumers to help the manufacturers meet their obligation for recycling. Uh, we may see the same thing in the electronic vehicle space. Mm -hmm. If Ford sells you an electronic vehicle, they may be mandated by law to take that back at the end of life um, because of making sure that battery gets recycled properly. Or some places have gone to the point where they actually lease you the battery. So you own the car, but you're leasing the battery. And that way, when you go to replace your battery, you don't own it in the first place. And it goes back to the manufacturer and they can use that as part of their infrastructure, either retest and reuse or recycle and get the raw materials. Interesting. I mean, you can see a whole lot of different, I never thought about that, you know, a whole lot of different applications for, you know, like, you know, one new business is battery leasing. Mm -hmm. Two, it eliminates the the worry that people have if they buy an EV. What happens? What, yeah, how much does it cost yeah. me when the battery goes out? And three, what do I do with it when it's all over? But you know, it's uh, it, the whole thing. I mean, it's just yeah, you know, it's it's fun to watch the whole sort of transition to sustainability and green. But you know, to think about what all go, what all is required. You know, to to make it all happen, and there's a lot of there's a lot of different thought. Yeah, you know, a lot of where there's a challenge, there's a lot of opportunities out there as well. Is, is what you're what you're saying? Yeah, and we've come a long way. I, I mean, I look at when I grew up, and you know, it's hard to believe that I grew up in the '60s. I'm sure, but I look back in the in the '60s, and uh, when I was a little kid in the car, it wasn't uncommon to see people throw trash out the window of their vehicle, right? Oh yeah, sure. And today you see that, and you're horrified. Yeah. And yet, you know, when I grew up, there wasn't much, uh, even in, you know, when I first owned a home, there wasn't residential recycling in my neighborhood. Mm -hmm. You know, we didn't think of everything went into the trash can. That's just what we did. Now, almost anywhere you live in this country, mm -hmm. uh, there's, tr you know, recycling option in, in the in the residence. And we have a generation coming up that the term circular economy is really meaningful for them. Mm -hmm. And, you know, they think about things like how is the circle being closed and what are the impacts if if we all switch to electronic vehicles? Is that necessarily good? You know, they, they think beyond just the greenwashing of, well, I still got to charge that vehicle, mm -hmm. you know, and if I'm using coal electro electricity to charge that vehicle, is it a net environmental gain? Yeah, it's a net environmental gain if it's green electricity, but what are the total impacts and the fact that I got to mine cobalt and all that? It's we've come a long way. Yeah. Well, that's the whole, I think we, you know, that's the whole thing about is, you know, there's no such thing as zero. <laughs> when you think about our goal is zero, you know, that that's a goal that really, in my mind, promotes abuse, you know, mm. zero tolerance, zero, zero carbon, zero emissions. It's like, well, we don't really need zero. Because the earth can handle so much, but, you know, reducing it to the least amount possible, everybody wants clean air and clean water. So let's reduce it as much as, as possible without, you know, without losing the, uh, you know, the economics there or the, you know, the, you know, 
the you know, the laws of diminishing returns, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, it's 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 ultimately there's a balance, and let's find the right let's find the right balance. But it's 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 fascinating to me how it's all coming around, and yeah, the, the both the challenges and opportunities that that are there in front of it. Yeah, definitely, and yeah, it's 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 going to be trade offs uh, as you know as we evolve society wise, we may accept more painful trade offs you know, than we have historically. Uh, Our consumption habits may change around more environmentally beneficial. Maybe, you know, the bag I buy my chips in isn't as sturdy as it once was because it's made from recovered and recyclable material. And, you know, I can't run a truck over it and still have chips I want to eat. You know, the bag busts open in that case. But, uh, you know, it, but that's the key is that we are open to trade-offs, but we also understand that it's a it's a road and it's a process. Uh, there's certain things that, you know, would just, it, it, it's almost a waste of effort to look at um, the U.S. right now and say that we should just turn everybody over to electronic, electric vehicles. There's, there's many applications right now where electric, electric vehicles you know, in, for instance, my case, if I had a much longer commute than I had, you know, it might be very, very difficult for me to use an electric vehicle. Right, right. And, and so it's not something that I would buy or or, or seek out. So you think you know, about, well, yeah, that's when, that's when the options come up. Well, okay. Right. Well, what about a hybrid, you know, a hybrid exactly. that gets 60 or 70 miles, effectively 60 or 70 miles to the gallon. Well, that's, yep. that's pretty good, right? Yep. It's not, you know, it's not zero, but it's, it's good. So it's cool. Hey, Craig, how do, uh, how do people get a hold of you? They can certainly shoot me an email. I am at cboswell, C-B-O-S-W-E-L-L at hobby.com. And our website is www.hobi.com. Um, you can find a lot more information on these types of things there. Uh, we, we got a lot of blog posts and articles there about these issues and what the industry is doing about it. Um, and if you have questions, just reach out to me. It's uh, it's it's a great thing to have your profession be in an industry like this because there's so many interesting subjects and so many interesting things going on and it's moving so quickly and something I love to discuss and you know think about where the future is going to go here. No, it's awesome. I was looking forward to this podcast because I think just what you do is to me is fascinating. So thank you for uh, thank you for coming on. Let's do it again. All right. Super. Thank you. Thanks, Craig. I hope you enjoyed the latest edition of the Aerospace Executive Podcast. You can reach out to me directly, Craig at NorthStarESG.com or check us out at www.NorthStarESG.com. You can subscribe to this podcast on iTunes, Stitcher, Podbean, or on YouTube. Just do a search for Aerospace Executive Podcast. Thanks again. I'm Craig Pippen.